Today's episode of the No Backboard Podcast is brought to you by Yamble. Yamble is the brand new sports predictions app that lets you predict what will happen on the next play or next few minutes of a game. Place your takes on the game and rack up points as they play out. Highest scores get paid out real cash every game. It's like HQ Trivia, 100% free to download and play with payouts each and every game. Just search for Yamble on the App Store or Google Play Store. Yamble like gamble with a Y. They're running three to five games per week during the NBA playoffs, so download now and start yambling. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the No Backboard Podcast, the official NBA podcast of the Play Call Network, the only NBA podcast. There's an unofficial one. That'd be sweet. I mean, we're, we're making it in this world. Jeff Weissman, Joseph Nation, back again. We took last week off. I had a nasty head cold and this thing called final exams um, for the final time, thankfully. And uh, Joseph Nation, as usual, not really very busy from what I understand. But we, we, we couldn't make it work either way. Uh, entirely my fault on that end. Uh, not really. I was, uh, <laughs> my, the, the one obligation I have every week got right in the way of the one time that you could. So, <laughs> no, no, it, it, that's on me. So, um, in the time that we missed, and in hindsight, I would not have been able to complete a podcast anyway. My voice was just shot. I had all of the, like, effects of a cold without actually feeling sick like my throat got destroyed um all of that but like didn't actually like feel bad Mm -hmm. i don't know it was weird it was probably allergies but i don't really get allergies anyway uh basketball world has passed us by um nuggets took seven games to get past the spurs spurs probably should have won the series it was such an ugly game seven like and that plays to all of the Spurs' strengths, uh-huh. and they still couldn't pull it out. I feel like, I feel like Pop was trying to drag that team somewhere, and they just did not want to go. Um, <laughs> it's weird. It's almost like like uh, it's just that that didn't feel right. Like it felt like the Spurs were gonna win and should have won. Like Thunder Blazers, we can break that down as much as we want, right? Uh, you can say maybe the Thunder were the better team, Blazers pulled it out, yada, 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 whatever. I ended up being wrong about that series, even though I think I did say that the Blazers were kind of a scary matchup for a reeling team, even if the Thunder were the better team. Uh, I did predict the Thunder would win that series, and I'll take that L. Um, but that one, it makes like it makes sense. Like we, we, we see that regularly, kind of a flailing team fall apart. Uh, we saw it with the Thunder against the Spurs a few years ago um, when the Spurs came into the playoffs on, like, a 20-game win streak, including, like, the first two playoff games. And then the, the Thunder – or the um, – yeah, it was the Thunder came in and won the next four games and knocked them out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just – that happens. But the Spurs series didn't feel right. And I don't want to spend too much time on it but because, you know, that that happened now like a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. But – are you kind of in the same same headspace with that? Uh, there there were games that didn't feel right, but at the same time, like as far as aberrations go, I don't think Game Seven was more of an aberration than say Games uh, One and Three, um, which both were just like super weird from a uh, from a shooting result standpoint. And so, like, yeah, it's the playoffs; weird things happen, but I don't know necessarily that. I mean, yes, the Spurs. The Spurs team definitely had an element of uh, Popovich trying to drag them as far as they could go. But in terms of the repeatability of the series, I think that like Denver still probably wins it much more often than not. 
Um, but also, I mean, I was kind of, you know, already on the Denver is the much better team here. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like even though your team won the series, I feel like I was proven more right than you were proven right because of how close the Spurs did come to beating a team that should and like should have been much 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 more effective and should have matched up really well and yet Popovich's genius just kept it close. I yeah, guess, I I, I, could, I could concede that. That's that's perfectly reasonable. That's an addition right. of the series. Um, other two series, uh, we hadn't finished Rockets over Jazz. That one I was right about. Uh, technically, all technically all of them I was right about. But you know, um, that the, I picked, that the I Rockets, Rockets would over Jazz. Do what? I I think I just said that the Jazz were going to win that game. I think yeah, I still well, that, no, that, that's what I'm saying is that like yeah. for, for that one game, like the Rockets did actually end up closing it out in five, and mm-hmm. ba- basically that was one of those where the like the. The Jazz are probably not that much less talented than the Rockets, but the matchup is just so bad for them that they were never going to win that series. Um, oh, but the the matchup—it's not that the matchup's bad; it's that the same series and the same game played in two different ways. The matchup leans heavily in either. Like, there's a world where they play this series and the Rockets can't match up with the Jazz. Like the ro- the rosters just don't line up. So if one team pushes in the right spot, they were going to have the huge, huge advantage, and that advantage ended up being Harden. Um, the Jazz could not figure out a way to defend Harden with all of their best players on the floor. But there's a world somewhere where the Jazz come in with the mindset that we are going to keep all of our best players on the floor and we're going to make Houston adjust to us. Mm-hmm. And Houston's at just as much of a disadvantage in that. Like, I feel like these are two equally talented rosters constructed in very different ways. I just think that it this was almost a mindset thing. Like, James Harden walked into the series confident that he was the best player in the series. And the Jazz walked into the series confident that James Harden was the best player in the series. <laughs> yeah, And that's... that you can't do that. Well, you can't do that in a playoff series. And, and it may very well be that they also overreacted to the idea that Rudy Gobert was unplayable. Um which they they probably needed just to force him onto the court anyway and find a way to make him work defensively. Um, because even, like, Rudy Gobert playing defense at 70% of his normal value is still a very valuable defensive player. Um, and they, they, they got too scared of Harden putting up numbers. Now, the Rockets, at this point, were going to win the series either way um, with the way it was going after Game 1 and Game 2. But you have to at least try to do what the Sixers were successfully doing early in this Toronto series and just let their guy go off mm-hmm. and just force him to wear himself out, putting up 40, 50, 60 points, you know, 15 rebounds, 10 assists, but just stay out on the other guys. Make sure the rest of the team's shooting 35% from the field, and you're you're still pretty likely to have a shot in that game. If you're trying to stop everything, plug every hole, there's going to be leaks. Like, you got to just pick a side like they were they were doing that weird thing following Harden right from behind and everyone thought that that was the most hilarious and weird thing in the world and theoretically it's not a bad strategy but it just reeks of of compromise that does not work tactically on a basketball court you can't you can't compromise like that in a single possession you can go back and forth in a game like you can say all right this possession we're going to triple team Harden next possession we're going to leave Harden one-on-one. We're going to make sure the shooters are out. Like, you can do that, mm-hmm. but you can't compromise within the same game plan. 
if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's that I think was the biggest blunder that the Jazz made in that series. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that pretty much sums it up. It's um, they very much sold out to linear strategies, and when those linear strategies didn't work, they didn't really have a second backup plan. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever been as disappointed in so many good coaches as I have been this playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's entirely fair because I mean, we've talked on this podcast about how I think that. Snyder and Lindsay is the best GM coach pairing in the league, and Snyder didn't really hold up his end of the bargain on that on that one. Um, so yeah, uh, and then Warriors Clippers we hadn't finished either. That one was, I mean, we knew we both came out knowing yeah. that the Warriors were going to win. I think I ended up being correct that the Clippers were going to steal another game. Yeah, yeah, I, th- um, I think we both agreed that they were. Uh, they were just I think we both had to... that feeling. Like it was like one of those where like they came at them too hard the game before and mm-hmm. that it was leaning again. Um so high five on that one. Yep. Virtual high five. On to the current playoff series. Now mm-hmm. through the first I'd say even four games of the second round of the playoffs for all teams, it looked like Brett Brown was was kind of the best coach left in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then that all kind of like it's crazy how quickly the narratives shift because now his job's on the line again, <laughs> and it's been it's been one game. Um, do you think that this? I hate to start off with my Homer team, but I feel like it's also the biggest discussion to have. Do you think that this Philly collapse is some irreversible thing, or do you think just that the medical staff sucks and they can't keep Embiid? from, like, snorting viruses. <laughs> well, for one thing, I'd say it's two games since we've seen... Since, since Brett Brown was... The no, Brown coach. Brown came out with a good game plan in Game 4 and just could not deal with... With Kawhi Leonard, and, which is what you're... No, could not deal with Embiid being under the weather. That's fair, too. But, I mean, he also His didn't game really plan have... on Kawhi, if you look at Game 1, 2, and 3... Well, Game 1, they have Embiid sagging way off. And that was a mess. Mm-hmm. That was a disaster. Yeah. Game two, they had um, Embiid try to stay up a few steps, and they did the same thing with Monroe. And while Embiid wasn't 100%, and Monroe, there is no such thing as 100%. Um, <laughs> I mean, his, just his taking those couple exists, steps. It's just not good. Yeah, no, it's like a good like 20% of uh, <laughs> most players. But anyway, um, just taking that one or two steps up on the the Kawhi Leonard screen action and the Kyrie or Kyrie the Kyle Lowry screen action Mm -hmm. made all the difference in the world and then they continued that adjustment by having Ben Simmons bump some of the 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 rollers in game three which is one of the reasons why that game got blown so wide open was they completely took away the roll guy like not only were they they forcing the shooter into tough shots but they were completely taking Gasol, Ibaka and Siakam out of the equation on offense and it was really a genius adjustment Mm-hmm. Um, even if it was kind of a common sense one, but Brett Brown also had the superior rotations until game, probably game midway through game four or game five. I think that shifted. Um, now I guess game four, but do you, are you on that boat? Like, I think he had the most impressive coaching performance up until, um, the last game and a half or so. Yeah. I mean, I'd say he's just been super missed. The biggest problem is that like, Right now, I mean, Game 5 is not nearly as much of a blowout as it was if J.J. Redick is making his shots. Um, Redick just couldn't hit the broadside of a barn and 
you know that that's going to hurt you anytime when he's uh, his knees just don't show up to some games. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the, he's been this stop, way ever he since he's hit. with the Clippers. Like the occasional game, he just he'll just get completely played out of because the shot's not falling, and that's the nature of shooters like him. And you kind of just have to live with it. Um, that's happened more this year than it ever has before. He's had entire weeks where this happens, mm-hmm. and it's kind of worrying that it's just starting now. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because if it's going to go for a full week, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean. Embiid obviously played significantly below his normal level last night. Uh, the the biggest worry I think is that for Redick and Embiid, you kind of have an understanding of this is something that's going to happen every once in a while. For Tobias Harris, it's been happening much more frequently throughout the series in general, um, and through the playoffs in general, to the point where you're worried about like, okay, well, are we really willing to pay him as much money as we're about to? And then Ben Simmons, who is, I mean, he's supposed to be one of the, he's supposed to be the long run piece on this team that is, as Jimmy inevitably starts to uh, to decline, Ben, ben sort of kind of starts to take over on ball. And I mean, he's already fairly heavy on ball because he's Ben Simmons and he has to be. Um, but he's not, like, he's had a bad series overall and it's, Siakam is, you know, better suited than most people to guard him, but I don't think Siakam's been guarding him 100% of the time, right? Um, well, it's more been... The fact that um, one on off on defense, he's been just all out. He's been playing phenomenal defense the entire series. Mm-hmm. I heard uh, yeah, Bill I Simmons. I, I love his podcast. He tried. He ripped uh, Simmons for his defense. Uh, Bill ripped Ben for <laughs> his defense, and I thought that that was just a terrible take. Like I like most of his stuff, even when he's talking about the Sixers. Uh, I know he's biased as a uh, Celtics fan, but that to me was just not right he's been playing great defense Kawhi's been hitting tough shots so a little bit of it has been he's going all out on defense there are very very few guys on this planet that can go all out on both ends of the floor at the same time Mm -hmm. and that goes hand in hand with the number two thing is that Kawhi and Siakam just entirely take away his slow break game Mm -hmm. Um, he'll still occasionally get out on the fast break but when he attacks that secondary break what I like to call the Boris Diaw slow break which is his favorite thing. He'll he'll catch the big men out of position. Their 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 feet are set, but they're not where they want to be. Right. And he'll just find someone's shoulder when their weight's going the wrong way, and he'll just come off it and he'll attack the rim. And that just does not exist against this team. Marcus is too smart to be in the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. And Siakam and Leonard waving their hands around keep him from manipulating the defense in the way he usually does. Because what he normally he usually tries to get people tangled up around the elbows mm-hmm. um, and he's good enough and he has the pieces around him where he can, he, he can manipulate that. He's got really good court vision. He knows what he's doing um, and he can't do that. And the solution to that is you kick it to someone, you flash to the corner and you pull a three. He can't, he can't do that. He can't pull from the elbow. He can't flash to the corner. Um, no one's really covering them back door because they're not coming out to open up the back door. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's an issue with the Sixers offense. That's been popping up a lot this year is that there's no such thing as the back door <laughs> because it's just, it's just closed. There's a, there's a dog fence on it because MB, like no one's going out to open up the door for, um, for Simmons. So that's been what's hampering him. Is it taking him out of the game psychologically by the fourth quarter? A little bit. I think any young player and most old players would kind of get taken out of the game mentally if if they're frustrated like that. And 
he deserves to be ripped for that a little bit. Yeah, but I think people look at the stat line and they're a little too aggressive in ripping him mm-hmm. personally. But I'm again, I'm a Sixers fan. I'm a homer here. That's my take on it. You know, am I, I being too defensive of him? I mean, I definitely see what you're talking about with his defensive effort. It's not, you know, it's it, 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 it's probably not elite, but it's still been very very good. Um, like there are definitely moments where you can see he's. Uh, he, like, he's frustrated and it shows up on the defensive end. But at the mm-hmm. same time, like, he's still been... No, he has not been perfect. Yeah. But he's been going all out. Right. Kind of. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's sort of more of a frustration mistakes than a frustration standing still and doing nothing. Um, yeah. There's... So, the biggest problem, I think, honestly, in this, um, in this series... Well, not the biggest problem, but there's also a problem for the 76ers in that they only really have five playable guys. Right? Um, because in terms of well, guys, no, in the games they won, they had they had eight. That's the difference. That's fair. Um, but um, because I mean, look, looking at it though, like the the starters are there, but then your next, like your your sixth man is James Ennis, who has been. Oh, I, I guess he's been hit, very hit or miss. Because yeah, you're right. That's been very much one of those guys where the games they've won. Well, it's supposed it's supposed to be Mike Scott, but Mike Scott's been dealing with an ankle problem. Okay, that's fair. Um, um he's he's been. A pretty good sixth man, like not great, but and obviously he's not the position that you would want a sixth man to be. Right? But yeah. Given the limitations, he's been a breath of fresh air, especially when Toby Harris goes cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's like there, there's that. Like there's a bunch of problems with the 76ers team. We kind of like we kind of saw some of them coming in, but we've also seen them put together what was the single most impressive game in this um, in this entire postseason uh, with Game Three. That was just uh, um, it was just a cock slap. I have no better way to put it. It was just a like get down on the ground, like um, <laughs> it was so so great to watch. But the result of that is that we kind of don't need to worry so much about like yeah, they they may very well lose this series. They will probably lose this series because statistically mm-hmm. speaking, I think 80% of teams that are down 3 to 2 do. But this is your Toronto's Toronto's more vulnerable to choke it away than most other teams. This this, this is fair. But this is your 0.5 effectively of Philly's actual peak right now, right? Like of of the top of the cycle, like they've barely. We don't know. We we don't know because we don't know. It will be determined after the fact whether this is the start of the peak or not because it all rides on what happens this summer. That's fair, but I don't think they like. I don't think there's any world in which they don't take actions this summer to keep this uh, to like to keep this level of stuff going together. But um, if they if they they may not have a choice, but keep Harris and move on from Butler. They have max cap space. Mm-hmm. For a Kawhi, a Clay, a KD. Yeah, but I'm not mean, saying even, that those guys will go there. But even you know. if they're doing that, or even like, I mean, obviously Kemba <clears throat> Walker is a free agent and is an option. But uh, Kyrie, yeah, um, and also solves a lot of the problems that Philly has while creating new ones. But still, Kyrie and Kemba would both be two of the best fits in the entire league, free agent or not, mm-hmm. for the team. Um, but yeah, so like. Uh, effectively speaking, n- no matter what's going to happen with this team, they're going to get time to build together. Um, and, like, they didn't really get that this season. And, um, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of hurting them now because they don't really have the auxiliary pieces because they spent so long getting their starters together. Um, well, because the auxiliary pieces are inconsistent because they don't have a, like... Because they ship them all off to L.A. for no good reason. Exactly. Um, and also because some of them, like... 
some of them there was a plan for them and then they got hurt you know ha- having Bobin instead of Greg Monroe might matter here um because Bobin against Marcus Gasol is actually a fairly fair fight um no 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 it, Bobin's not even hurt he's just unplayable in this matchup okay. uh because the second he enters the game Siakam and Kawhi just start drooling and yeah that's fair anyone can do it um but yeah, I mean, you can you you can try and avoid those into bench lineups with the way Nick Nurse has been running his um, his rotations because they tried they tried playing Bowman in the first game. You cannot do it. Okay. They every time Bowman was put in the game, Nick Nurse made the adjustment and he was run off the floor instantaneously. Makes sense. Um. Although he was oh wow he was minus seventeen in that game. That's yes uh, I told you that time the eye test came before the stat got. Uh, <laughs> Checked up on his numbers. Yes, he got run off the floor every second he was in the game. Mm-hmm. And he has not really played since. Yeah. He might have been in for some garbage time. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he played one second in game four. Um, oh, oh, no, that was the best second ever. Um, were you watching? I was not. They no. put him in They put him in right before the end of the half to stand in front of the inbounder. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and it was perfect. It, for, it forced the turnover. Okay. It was the greatest, it was the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. That had convinced me that Brett Brown had matured as a rotation guy. Uh-huh. The other interesting thing about the series to me, if you had to pick one series out of the four, well, no, let me rephrase it. If you had to pick two series out of the four to say which one of these would be the most influenced by the referees, Golden State Houston would be number one because duh. Mm-hmm. But what would be number two for you? Well, it's this one because the only guy whose foul rate is even within sniffing distance of Harden's is Joel Embiid's. Right. Um, and surprisingly, he's been getting caught. Like, I'm not. I don't want to complain about the refs. Like, he's been refereed pretty fairly. No, that, that's exactly like, it. Like, yeah. he's been refereed fairly, and that's almost shocking given the way that this playoff is kind of focused on the referees in ways. Yeah, the referees uh, have been fine in this series. There's been some questionable definitions of flagrants. Yeah, yeah, that's and true. And technicals and stuff. But in terms of, like, in-play refing, mm-hmm. for a series that's had Scott Foster and Tony Brothers active, um, they've been doing well, which just convinces me that the league office will tell Tony Brothers and Scott Foster, hey, guys, we want a game seven today. Uh, <laughs> make it happen. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, so it's, you know, it. it it, 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 it's it's a series that has been interesting. It's had a bunch of different storylines. And can I bet ten thousand dollars that Scott Foster and Tony Brothers will referee tomorrow night's game? Is there is there someone that will do that? Because home crowd that is just the most ripe fruit for referees to come in and swing the game in the first quarter. I feel like Scott Foster refereed a game like to get a game seven. Uh, yeah, wait, it's exactly in the range where Scott Foster would be available again. So yeah, it's entirely yep. possible. It'll be him. It just will be. Yeah. I need to bet this. I need a sports book. Where, <laughs> who who does this? Allegedly, according to the NBA, after uh, Scott Foster was assigned to, I think it was game two of the Warriors or Rockets game, um, they assigned the referee assignments before the series, and nobody no. believes them? No. Zero, zero, zero chance. Yeah. They probably pencil it in, but I'm sure they, they make swaps. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're they're definitely like they 100 percent have to be willing to make swaps just in case, like say a referee tears his ACL or what have you. Because um, I mean they have the alternate, but if if you know ahead of time you're going to both move the alternate in and replace the uh, the alternate. Um, 
just because the alternate is at the arena so that the game doesn't finish playing with two referees because that's uh, that's some interesting basketball when it does happen. Yeah, I think they need... To, I'm, I'm on board with the adding a fourth referee thing. Like, I don't want to spend time on it, but I've seen that reeled off. No, I, I, I'm not sure see, what the positioning of the ref would be, but I'm on board. I, I think we're at a point where it doesn't even make sense to bother with that. I think just skip straight over it. Skip straight over it. Um, chips, chip, chips in the uh, in the ball and chips in uh, not 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 in not in jerseys, but in um and and computer and like and, and cameras everywhere following a machine learning program. But, Basically, but it's fouls. No, no, that's dumb. It's it'll work. A, re- a game needs to be refereed in different ways for different teams that are playing in different situations you can like Like, you can train the system to do something like that um no you you can but no no not anytime soon will that ever happen honestly have you seen how bad the refereeing is in 2k that's what it would be i mean okay 2k is a little bit different like what's no, happening? No, because those are professional video game developers who've been doing it for years. Right. The so NBA what would they're be doing, doing though, it for the first time. So what? 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 2K is doing is they're actually ascribing hit boxes, and if the hit box comes in contact, that's why. Like that's why professional video games. I know. I know it's different, but I'm saying that they've been trying it for years, and it still sucks. I mean, but the thing is, it's design. It, it's a different question that they're trying to answer. They're not trying to answer what happened. They're trying to, like, what they're doing is they're taking the hitboxes, which hitboxes are intentionally designed lazily because it's not, like, I mean, they're they're not perfect, but they're still, like, designed to be, um, a, like, an approximation rather than exact. Whereas with cameras, you can actually get to exact. Um, like, I was actually talking... No, not on board. I don't want robot refs. Don't want it. I was actually talking no at Sloan with a guy who works for, um one of the Texas teams, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to specify, um, who basically... Um, God, that's such an asshole response because there are two psychotic Texas front offices who would both, like, be eager to screw with Robot Well, no, 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 it, it wasn't... It, it, this isn't even in the context of Robot Refs. Basically, um, what, what, he, what he had said is that he could actually, using um, using the cameras that the NBA provides, reasonably approximate someone's height within, like... I think it was a tenth or a hundredth of an inch. Um, and, like... Height? But, yeah, you can... No. But the that, thing is, you can all... Like, if you can measure we're, distances we're, like that, you can also measure, hey, did there did contact occur here? Hey, was this ball in his hand before the, um... You know, b- before the step started? Um, stuff like that. Like, you can more accurately define... No, no, no. You know what we'll get? We'll get every player will have a James Harden beard and we'll just rub it gently on people's shoulders and get foul calls. Okay, you can 100% measure for that. Uh, I doubt it. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> so let's do, let's stay in the East. Bucks Celtics. Mm-hmm. Um, that series is 3 1. It's going. I don't know what to think. I the really Bucks hope are that still... Paul Pierce just gives up and retires after this series, though. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I love this Celtics squad in terms of their capability of winning a championship. I just don't know what's going through Kyrie Irving's head right now. I He's so good at so many different things. Does he overcomplicate things? Yes, but honestly, I would rather have my player overcomplicating things than than doing a Ben Simmons and just not doing it at all. Um Brad Stevens still a great coach. Jalen Brown's playing well. They have Marcus Smart back. They just shit the bed. This mm-hmm. Bucks team is flawed. This Bucks team is a little disorganized. They're beatable. They have they don't even a couple have of head cases. Yet. 
Yeah, they have a couple of head cases in Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton who have been known to get stuck in their own head at times, especially in big moments, even if Middleton does the opposite against the Celtics traditionally. Um, but Bledsoe, that's an exploitable thing, and they the Celtics just haven't been able to do it. And Bledsoe's not even particularly playing well in this series. It's just that they're beating them so badly everywhere else. It doesn't matter, yeah. It, this is just one of those things where um, this happens in the playoffs. Like, a better team is losing right now. I'm, I don't really know why, and we'll have to look in the offseason, because I sure as hell don't have time to study it right now. Um, I mean, the why directly is, you know, Giannis is really goddamn good. Kyrie's not playing well. But that's never, ever the full story. Like, I want to see, is something happening in the Celtics' offense that's making Kyrie uncomfortable? Or is someone taking one too many dribbles before kicking the ball out? So, or is I've actually Tatum seen standing someone some propose place? the explanation that effectively what the Bucks are doing is that whenever the, uh, the Al Horford pick-and-pop happens, which is a pretty big source of offense for Kyrie, right? Um, Al Horford screens for him, pops to the... Uh, Pops to the, uh, to a mid-ranger to the three-point line, and that gives Kyrie space to operate on whatever he wants to do. Whenever that happens, the Bucks are basically just completely ignoring Horford. Um, and they're making, um, like, what, what they're doing is they're making the ball handler, you know, throw it over to Horford and make Horford beat them on jumpers. And Horford's making the jumpers. Like, Horford's actually been very, very efficient in this series. But nobody is worried about Al Horford beating them on jumpers. Um... Like Horford is averaging 18 points, which I wouldn't be surprised if that were his uh his playoff seat like his single series high um for the last like four or five years um because he's not been that guy recently um over a full series and realistically I mean he's doing so on a very efficient 60 um 66.7% true shooting like all of these things are very very good but because the Pistons don't really get anything else off of it other than the jumper, like the jumper is itself a terminating action and it's not really opening up anything else along the way because the Bucks are playing so disciplined everywhere else. Um, and it's like, it's completely cratered the efficiency of both Irving and Tatum. Um, and obviously like Tatum doesn't need much help cratering, cratering his efficiency right now. Um, and Irving is still outplaying Terry Rozier. You know what that is then? That if that's truly the problem, then it's Al Horford getting old. Because the solution to that is the center attacking off the dribble. That's what we saw with Embiid um, in mm. uh, Game 3 against the Raptors. Was They were living with Embiid hitting threes. He hit a few of them. But he only ended up hitting, what, three of four? That didn't beat them. What beat them was Embiid attacking off of that three-pointer into the paint and getting by someone. If Horford's not doing that, I mean, that's that's an age thing. That's probably his knees or something. Um, because what you do is if you get that opposing center or big man or whoever you have on him on his heels and you get into the paint and you have guys flash in a coordinated way, you have open shooters, you have a guy cutting back door, you might even have a layup or a post move for the center, you might have free throws. You Sometimes you do play into what the defense is giving you. But sometimes you, you push, you know, you ask mom for more, right? You, you you go in and you try to see what else you can get out of it. And again, if what you're saying is true, I'm not going to lie. I've watched about half of this series. I've not had the time to sit down and watch the whole games. Um, I've seen a half here, a half there. I think I saw all of game two. Um, 
then that's that might just be Horford getting old. And, you know, he has a $30 million player option this year. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with that? Yeah, I mean, it might be Horford getting old, but it also just might be one of those things where it's an adjustment waiting to be made. And, if it, like, basically it takes 10 seconds of Stevens going, hey, you should drive the ball into that some of the times when they, uh, when they duck off of you. Um, or you should dive to the rim instead. And it may very well be that Horford can't do that at all, and he did, in fact, get old. But it also might be that this is one of those things where... Well, he can't He can't dive to the rim because Giannis eliminates all pick-and-roll passes into, in, uh, into the paint. I mean, if he can't dive to the rim, then he can't drive to it either. No, you can't because it's much easier to poke a pass than a drive. Oh, you're, you're saying like the entry pass itself, not like yes. a secondary. You okay. can't be hit on a pick-and-roll yeah. dive. When Giannis is in the game, yeah, that's fair. It's a little bit slower of an action, but yeah, I could see it. Uh, I, I could see it working. But either way, like, I mean, if, if if you've got, you can force Giannis to the other side of the court and make him like, and, and make him try to. There respond. is no other side of the court. I mean, he's got to respond from the dude is side. everywhere. I mean, he's okay, everywhere. yes, he's everywhere, but he does like he's in your sleep. He, exactly, Joseph. he is he's not omnipresent yet. He's in your slippers. He's there, but it doesn't matter. Um, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. He he can get his hands anywhere on the court within about a half second, mm-hmm. um, which is nuts. But anyway, probably an overestimate, um, but still. <laughs> <laughs> Nuggets Blazers three mm-hmm. two series. Um, I this feels like a series that could go seven. I didn't think it had any chance of going to seven beforehand. I think it's the lamest thing in the world that the Nuggets are about to be in the conference finals. Um, because I don't think they were even one of the four best playoff teams in this playoffs. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. I mean, it's a it's a league of matchups. I and mean, I wouldn't say they're one of the four best either, but I also would probably say they're like... I mean, the four the four best teams are the ones that naturally would make the, the conference finals, right? Unless you're take, talking like just the four best in the West. I'm just talking four best in the West. Oh, yeah, no, that I don't agree with. Um, see, I don't know. The... the so if if the Nuggets play the Jazz, I think the Jazz win. But I think that the Nuggets are a better team at the same time. So it's at least not that straightforward. Like, okay, I think we can straight up agree that the Warriors and Rockets are the two best teams in the West. There's there's not much contest there. Um No, well no, you know what? Our, I think our that two of the, the, four. the the Thunder when they were good this year okay, are yeah, better than the Rockets. The, the, the are healthy currently. thunder might be, but we haven't yes. seen the healthy thunder in about two That's fine. Two yeah, months. I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here arguing that. I'm just um, saying that, that that would be my uh yeah. thing. Um but yeah, I mean going through the other teams like after <clears> those, you've got the Trailblazers who might be a better like it's kind of a reverse of the No, they're not better. They're not better. They might be if they were if they had Nurkic. Um Yeah, but they don't. But they're they not don't. better. That's that's fair. Um, yeah, and I guess... They could win, but they're not And that's the kind of thing, like, a lot of these... A lot of the West teams had a major injury. Um, like, a lot of that second tier of the West. Um, and so it makes it to where, like, even though they might have been better, I think the Nuggets kind of just fall into the top... uh, Fall into that third place slot, and at worst, fourth, just by default. Um, it's because everybody else was either not that talented or hurt. So like you, 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 I guess they are that fourth spot. I I uh, overestimated the number of good teams in the West. It's, that's easy to do, just because like th- this year was hyped up. People as the... worship the West, and it's like you know what? Like I kind of would take the Raptors and Bucks and Sixers over 
mm-hmm. all but like two of those Western yeah. Conference teams. Uh, yeah, like the the gap was much smaller than people thought it would end up being this year. Right? Hell, I mean, you know what? I might even take them over the Rockets. Yeah, as a whole. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Um, like the Rockets. <coughs> the thing that makes the Rockets interesting is not that they themselves are good, but that one James Harden is himself is is on his own very good. And two, that they match up better than anybody else with Golden State. Other teams have, and they also kind of match up very, very well with the with the uh, with the Nuggets. But that's another story entirely. Actually, the Rockets just have some matchups that they win by a lot. There are matchups, mostly the ones that they will probably see in the actual finals, that they don't match up as well with. But in terms of like what in in terms of like finding a run through the West. They're going to play three straight good matchups, probably, if the Nuggets do end up winning. And the Rockets do as well, because, well, obviously if they lose, they don't get a third straight matchup. Um, You know what's crazy? The Rockets are not going to win this series. I just want to make that 100% clear. I don't think there's any chance that they do. But if they do, God, I'm going to have to just travel to Canada and just punch Doyle in the face, because the Raptors will win an NBA championship. See, I'm still not entirely convinced that the Raptors are going to get past the Bucks. Kawhi Leonard is playing at a level we haven't seen in like would eliminate James Harden from a playoff series. Yeah, he's playing at a level we haven't seen in six years. Um, but no, hold up, hold up. First off, we saw it game one of the finals last year with LeBron. Okay, but outside of that. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't seen, seen this it over since a full the 90s. Po- Actually, no, that's not entirely fair, because LeBron's whole postseason last year was very, very good. And, no, LeBron 12-13 was probably, like... He wasn't uh, hitting these difficult shots. He was playing bully ball. That's, to me, it's I mean, the, the shot was, Neither is Giannis. Uh, oh, wait, no, we're, we're on Kawhi now. Sorry, I got sidetracked. Yes. Because Giannis is also, if you haven't noticed, having a very, very good playoff, uh, playoff run. Yeah, but that doesn't, to me, that uh-huh. doesn't count. I mean, it counts, like, because it's awesome and he's producing, mm-hmm. but it's not in the fuck you way. Mm-hmm. Because every time Kawhi is shooting a shot, you're like, we won this yeah. possession. And then it goes in and you're like, fuck. <laughs> like, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, have you ever seen, because I'm, I'm like three miles from Philadelphia. Have you ever seen Philadelphia fans so not angry and malicious <laughs> at a superstar beating them. <laughs> yeah, like that's... everyone's just in awe. We can't even hate it. It's just one of those things where it's like, what are you supposed to do? Like, we're not mad at Ben Simmons's defense because it seems like all of these shots are contested. It's, it's just, it's absurd. Mm. The shots that he's hitting right. and we saw Kobe do it for stretches. But other than that, you got to go back to Jordan. Maybe Dirk, briefly, but Dirk wasn't doing it on the other end. He certainly wasn't putting up 39 and 16 in, like, the median game of a series in terms of individual performances. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is um, the the, the Chris Paul series where he was, and and I realize, yes, Chris Paul, yeah, but... um, No, no, disqualified. Where he was on, like, half a hamstring. Does not count. um, Does not count. Against the Spurs. Um, Irrelevant. I actually was fairly close to it in terms of tough shot making. Um, Does not matter. But yeah. It's Chris Paul. Anyhow, back on the, the Trailblazers Nuggets series, which is where this original point was on. Um, I honestly like, 
you, you say it's going to go seven. Honestly, I think the only reason it would go seven is if the Nuggets kind of... No, I didn't say it was going to. It, I said it, it could. could. Okay. I, I think the only reason it goes seven is if the Nuggets kind of coast game six. Um, I think we've seen, you know, outside of game three, which was nuts. Um, the Trailblazers effectively showed that their plan for guarding Jokic is to take away the two-man game. Um, with three people, and then hope that Denver doesn't make an additional rotation pass. Um, Because we've seen a lot of that where it's like, they know they can't stop, say, Murray and Jokic with with Lillard and Cantor. Um, So what they'll do is they'll bring over what's typically Alfaro Kaminu or someone like that, but then they'll also make sure to check his man with... um, Like, they'll make sure that the... um, that the fourth defender who's on that same side as Alfaro Camino is cheating over to the, uh, to his man to where there's at least like someone covering both of them. And usually they're like, they're playing one pass ahead, but not two. Um, because you can't play two passes ahead if you're triple teaming someone because there's, you know, someone there. And effectively Denver, what they'll have is that Jokic will have the ball in his hands and he will find that first pass. But then that second person wasn't finding that second pass. Um, and I mean, it was a fairly consistently successful defensive strategy through the first three games. And then you kind of see in game four, it still was working a little, but in game five, Denver just went, wait, all we have to do is make this extra pass and we're wide open. And I mean, the result was 26 point win. Um, I, I think it's possible that, you know, Portland stops playing that kind of gimmicky defense out of that. But at the same time, like that gimmicky defense was the only thing that was keeping Ennis Cantor playable. Um, so I can't imagine like, like I, 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 obviously there are adjustments to be made, but it's hard to see like a, what's the adjustment that you make to fix one when your initial adjustment to fix a problem doesn't work anymore. Um, I think you, you, you go, you take from football, I think in, in playing defense against this team, you almost run stunt coverages. You have to set up your defense to look like another defense until you're set and swing between them a ton during the game, like maybe go box and one with the one on Jokic, Canner on Jokic sometimes. Go 3-2, like let Jokic post you up and beat you that way for a couple. Go man, go man switch. Go 1-3-1. Like, if I they think go into a 2-3 zone and it makes Mason Plumley playable, I'm going to be very angry at you because I don't want to have to see any more Mason Plumley ever. <laughs> but this is, I think that's what you have to do against a guy like Jokic. And I think that because... <clears throat> honestly, like some of the best players I played with at a lower level, like we're talking AAU and even shittier than that. were like passing big men. And to a certain extent, that's what you do. You, you disguise the defense and it worked for the lower levels. A lot of the triple teaming and, and, and funky shit that they've been doing now is lower level stuff. Like pull some schoolyard bullshit. Like, at some point, that's kind of what you have to do. And I think that that's, that's the solution here. Obviously, the coaches know far more than I ever will um, about basketball strategy. I'm sure there's a million reasons why you can't do what I'm saying. But to me, that's what makes the most sense. I think you, you need to just embrace the fact that Jokic is going to figure out your game plan and just not really have a game plan. Like the same way that Eli Manning beat the Patriots twice, <laughs> right? They went up against a guy that can pick apart your game plan, and they were just like, ha, but what if we just don't have one? (laughs) (laughs) 
and they won, <laughs> you know, like maybe that's what you got to do. So, um, the problem is they don't really have the talent to pull that off unless Lillard goes white hot. We've seen Lillard do that. Um, I think the key, man, I wish Evan Turner was just like a little bit better because he would be crucial in bogging the game down a little bit in the half court and letting CJ get hot off ball. But he, he's been kind of tough to, to figure into things. I mean, McCollum has been hot for most of the series too, is the other thing. Um, so I don't know that they're necessarily worried about getting him going as much. Um, but yeah, like Evan Turner is a guy who I could see making a difference in this series. Um, just because at times, you know, having Rodney Hood in the game is naturally going to bog things down. It just not in a positive way. Um, it's weird because Evan Turner bogs the game down, but also keeps the ball moving. Evan Turner just immediately transforms the offense into a Quinn Snyder offense is what he does. Yeah, I can see that. I love it. I love it personally. Like that's, that's good basketball to me, but it's not necessarily the Portland offense. I don't know. Like his skill set should be perfect for facing this Nuggets team. I don't really know why it hasn't been. I think the biggest worry with him, and I think the biggest thing that has kept him off the floor, a lot of the time when, um, so the majority of the defensive matchups have been someone like Harris or Barton or Craig on Lillard, um, whichever of those two is on the court, or whichever, like, the the second one of those that's on the court gets McCollum, and then Jamal Murray's been kind of hidden down as much as they can, and you can kind of hide Jamal Murray on Evan Turner a lot more than you can Rodney Hood. Um, and I think that's kind of what puts the priority on Hood, is that, effectively speaking, you're seeing... And, I mean, they've hit him on Alpharoka Media <coughs> some, too, but basically, what the... Um, like what 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 the Trailblazers are looking for is making sure there's no place to hide uh, Jamal Murray on defense and make him work there, and it's worked at times pretty well. Like, um, I think it was hardwood paroxysm, um, Matt Moore, who basically said that he had never actually seen a player hunted as hard as uh, Jamal Murray was in Game Three, and that's an exaggeration. Like, we've seen Steph Curry hunted harder than Jamal Murray was in that game, for example, but. Um, Practically speaking, like, they were absolutely looking for that matchup. They were seeking it out and looking because they realized that he's not quite athletic enough to hang with anyone in this series on the defensive end. But if we're playing someone into him, like, you know, Evan Turner, who all you have to do is stay in front of him, keep him honest, and make him pass out, then all the other people have to do is stay home and you're fine defensively. Um, And I think if you want to see a player hunted out, go back, look at James Harden's uh, 50-point triple-double against the Sixers a couple years ago. And um, look for Nick Stauskas oh, and TJ McConnell. That just sounds ugly. Like, I didn't see that game, but... But you know, you know what the funny part was? Because of injuries, those were the two guys that were assigned to cover James Harden. And Harden would get switched off, like, from just running offense. Mm-hmm. He'd realize that he did not really want to be, and he would go back and go find his original man <laughs> and then attack him. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was just, like... What are we watching, <laughs> guys? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> man, Nick Stosk has always played like a deer in the headlights, mm-hmm. but multiply that to like thirty-seven. Right? Yeah. Um, that was that was quite the game. Yep. Anyway, um, 
I think we. Well, know. one more, one more, one more thing before we move on. I think we've 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 done this in the past where I'll advocate um, for a for like for, for a shooter seeing more minutes than they are in the playoffs because for some reason teams are not playing their pure shooters as much. Jake Lehman is half a minute ahead per game of Scalabissier and and Fernie Simons. Like, half a minute per game. Like, he's playing... He probably just can't stick with the defensive game plan, is my I guess. I mean, he, he um, can. If you can have a shooter out there, you would. Right. Uh, um, but the thing is, like, you've got to do something to survive in the times when Alfaro Camino is off of the court. And, by and large, you know, in, in, in Game 5, obviously, there was nothing that the, any kind of defense was going to do to help. In Game 2, which you won, you weren't winning that because you contained the... Um, there were, like because you contain them on defense, but rather just because it was a sloppy game. Other than that, these games have largely been vote races. Um, like there's only been one game where the winning score was under one ten, um, and like I mean that's not way out of the normal for uh, for NBA uh, series. And obviously we had one series that you know went to four overtimes, um, but it's still like it's one of those things where that's the kind of series where having that extra shooter on the floor. It doesn't necessarily make a difference, but it's something you should have at least kicked the tires on by now. Especially after, say, you got blown out by 26. Um, and admittedly, they'll like that would be an adjustment they would make tonight, given that you they know, should just they should just play Scalabissiere. I'm not going to go that far. Um, I like Lebissiere, but I don't think put him in a shooting guard. Do it. Put him in a shooting guard. It's his natural position. All right. uh, anyway, I, I, I don't think they've actually integrated him into the system is the biggest reason. Oh, that and also he's been kind of bad, you know, for a few years now sitting on the bench. Yeah, but uh, like that's that's the type of thing like I'm kind of jo- I am joking with Scott, uh-huh. but I do think that if someone had had the balls to play Andrea Bargnani as a two, three swing man, he would have been a Hall of Famer. That seems like a stretch. <laughs> No, like watch watch the way he played, and look at his mobility is the big thing before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. He, the Raptors played him at center. It should not have happened. Mm-hmm. Probably shouldn't have even been a four. Today he would have been a four, but back in the day he should have been a small forward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, th- there's reason there, there's reason to believe that Bargnani would have been you know better had he played a different role than he did, but he was still going to be like. I, I don't see any world in which he's actually a good NBA player per se. Uh, you forget he put up he put up like an efficient twenty one a game in like his third season or some or fourth season before the wheels fell off. Like he was a good player, not great, maybe not good, like like star good, but like team is satisfied with him as a first scoring option good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was trying to remember because like, I, like I knew he scored 21 one season, but I couldn't remember that season ended up with a true shooting of, I think it was 53%, which is like not terrible, but it's definitely a below league average, which is kind of indicative that he was just one of those guys that was getting a lot of shots on a really bad team. Um, I mean, 45% from the field, 35% from three, um, getting to the line five times a game. That's... I mean, I don't really. Was, I know the way true shooting's calculated, but at the end of the day, I mean, the only downside he was taking a lot of long twos. I guess 
like that's probably the flaw there. Yeah. Um, you take like he, two he long twos. He was taking a lot of long away. twos. He's, I mean, 34. Otherwise, he was very efficient. Like he was shooting threes at a good clip. He was hitting his twos at a good clip. I guess the proportions were just off. He was getting to the free throw line. Like Right, yeah. He was taking, uh, so he was hitting his threes at a okay clip, but um, about 80% of his uh, field goal attempts were from two. And he was, I mean, 47.2% from two is, I mean, 0.94 points per possession, which is way below league average. Um, so. I don't know if that was way below league average in 2010. Which we can look up. <laughs> um, I can. I don't know how to do that wizard shit. It's in, uh, like, so ba- basketball reference has season summaries. Um... <laughs> Let's see, in 2000, <laughs> 0.492, so 49.2%, so it was about 2% below league average. Um, But also, like... Which, when you're ripping 18 of them a game... Tw- 21 yeah. of them a game. Uh, no, 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 18 shots a game. He was putting up 17.8 shots per game for 21. Yeah, you're right. I was looking at the, uh, I think I was looking at the per 36... He was a prolific shooter. Wow. Like, he really was until um, really that year. Like, before that, he 37, 41. Mm. Yeah, I mean, his first four years were one of those things where you could definitely see a path for his career. And if they happened right now, he would absolutely be way higher priority. Um, But, you know, after that, everything just went really, really downhill. Um, And the other thing is, like... Toronto was so bad during that stretch, and he was clearly their second best player during most of it. Because um, Chris Bosch, obviously. Um, that you kind of... And, and also, I mean, he was the second best player at his own position, which really didn't help. Um, that you can kind of understand, like, yeah, he might have been better, but I still don't see the path to him being, like... I, I guess th- there's a path to him being an NBA player, like a good one, but not a path to him being, like, worthy of the number one overall pick. Like, he was going to be in the bus discussions either way. And it was a weak draft, so it's not surprising. But still, like, it's disappointing to get the number one pick and end up with Andrea Bargnani. No, no, I don't think so. Because um, this this guy named Markel Fultz just recently went first and has pretty much, without a doubt, become the biggest dra- biggest bust in NBA draft history. No, he's already provided more value just in the time that he's been back from injury than Anthony Bennett did in his entire career combined. No, because Anthony Bennett didn't—he didn't—they didn't trade for that pick. They didn't trade another number one pick for that pick, and—or potential number one. No, it was never potential and, number one. Well, they protected it number one, but yeah. potential it's number top two. tier. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't supposed to be a player on a contender. Like, Bennett was a project. Fultz was a ready product. Mm. Bennett was, was a raw talent upside pick that they made in a terrible draft. They almost half expected him to be a bust. Mm-hmm. Fultz was a goddamn sure thing. Yeah, but the difference is that, like... He's the biggest bust in NBA history. The only one I think you can look at that would be even vaguely comparable, comparable, I guess, would be Bennett. And I think he beats out Bennett clearly and decisively. No, so the thing with Bennett, with with Markel Fultz, 
Markel Fultz in consensus was the Bennett absolute... played seventy games. Mm-hmm. He was terrible. Fultz at played all. what? Doesn't um, matter. Fultz played like thirty and was hilariously inefficient, and ineffective, and all. But of was them. also an effective defender, passer, <laughs> and basically did everything except shoot. It was just that he was getting sagged off of so hard that he like it, you weren't sure he was going to actually be able to play. Um, no, the thing is like. A, injuries are always hard to handle because this is an injury situation. Whether it still is injured or whether it's psychological stemming from the injury, there was an injury at one point. Um, and, you know, that's not necessarily fair to fault. The other thing is, like, the thing that made Bennett so bad as a bust was the level of incompetence he revealed in the organization. So, Bennett was, in consensus, a like viewed as the 7th to 10th best player in that draft. Um, nobody really had him higher than fifth. It was, it was considered widely that Cody Zeller was more likely to go number one than he was. Um, and boy, would that have been an interesting, uh, career path for Cody Zeller. Um, just because, you know, everything that Tristan Thompson does, he does better. Um, other than rebounding, um, which admittedly is the entire point of Tristan Thompson, but yes, um, so I I like there's that compared to Fultz, who was the everyone who knew what they were talking about went he's either number one or number two, um, and the people who had him number one or had him number two by and large were people who were looking at balls ball statistics and being like yeah this guy checks all the statistical boxes we're going like you know he's there the subsequent like. The idea of taking Jason Tatum over him, because, like, I think part of what, what exacerbates the, uh, like, the view of that trade, especially, is that Jason Tatum had a very good rookie year while Markel Fultz was sitting out. Um, except the thing is, the way that Jason Tatum had a very good rookie year was by completely not doing anything that he did at Duke whatsoever. Um... And it's not the first time that someone's completely not done anything he did at Duke whatsoever. It's kind of what we're hoping Cam Reddish will do. Um, and kind of what we're hoping that R.J. Barrett will do. And to some degree, it's even what people are hoping that Zion Williamson will do. Um, and you can go back through Duke history to find a lot more people who are just doing things that are not at all what they did at Duke. Um, Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard's game has moved from more from like a pick-and-roll heavy style to a dribble handoff um like he still drives the ball, but it's not nearly um, like it's much more oriented around the jump shot than it is um, than it was at Duke. And obviously, that's just part partially the nature of going to the NBA. But like a lot of guys, as much credit as Coach K gets as a Hall of Fame coach, he does not put his players in optimal positions. That's a very well known thing. And I'm not sure how exactly I got to this point in the discussion. Now that I think about it, but the the point here being that oh right, Jason Tatum. Um, Effectively, if Tatum were what he should have been as a prospect, because practically speaking, Tatum was not, like, I, I think most of us considered Tatum in the 5-7 to seven range in that draft as well. Um, Tatum just panned out because, A, the team that drafted him actually had a plan for him that involved him not doing the things he did at Duke and that made him a worse prospect, and B, once the team tried to move away from those things, you get this year, and Tatum has been significantly worse. Um, Jason Tatum is currently the single worst isolation player in the entire league. Um, and so, like, you kind of see that without that w- without that trade involved, the Sixers wouldn't be viewed as poorly. And also, like, the other thing about the trade is that the unknown part of the trade is getting misevaluated, too, in a way, because 
you saw it be, it was either the Lakers pick if it wasn't uh, top 10, right? Or the, uh, or the Kings pick if it wasn't top one. Um, no, no, it was whichever pick, um, wasn't it just whichever pick conveys? Like right. it was, so, it was whatever the best pick is yeah, in that situation. It, so trade, trade is made in the, um, it, like in the days running up to the 2017 draft in 2018, the, um, the, the pick that was dealt was the Lakers pick. Um, and it was the Lakers pick if, um, if, if that pick wasn't top 10 and otherwise the, uh, it, it delays one more year. Then in 2019, it was the Kings pick, and if it wasn't the Kings pick, um, because uh, like because it was protected for top one, then it would be I don't actually remember exactly what the remaining piece was, but something like uh, I think it might have been a Philly first. I'm not exactly sure, but something in that vein. No, it wouldn't have been. Actually, it might have been. Either either way, whatever that last piece was, it wasn't really going to be relevant because you were really hoping the Kings weren't going to be top one again. Well, not again, but, you know, um, so high up. Um, regardless, like, both of those pieces in that trade, it wasn't that... I mean, it was still either way going to be a minus trade. The the expectation for the trade, I would guess, would, it be, would have been something like minus, uh, number three and number seven, and that's typically worth doing for number one just purely on, uh, on conjunction. Um, in that if you have two assets... They're, you're more likely to hit on one of them than you are on two, even if they individually have lower probabilities. Possibly. It's not necessarily always there, but they, they, it, it, it tends that way in terms of how people bias their perception. Um, but, generally speaking, like, Fultz doesn't really... I, I don't know that necessarily changes the like how much of a bust Fultz actually is rather than how much he's perceived as being. Just because, yeah, I mean, the, the trade worked out, but... Uh, like worked out for the other team more than it did for the Sixers, but it shouldn't have at the time. And you can only make decisions based on what you have at the time. The trade is only, but a factor. Yeah. The reality of the story is Fultz was brought in to be an on ball, James Harden type and an off ball spot up shooter. Right. And he came in with a complete inability to shoot free throws and a complete inability to shoot the basketball. That's but the thing it. is, he didn't and come in with. By that. the way, during we're off topic anyway. Very. During your rant, I was committing ant genocide on my windowsill. Ah. Um, um. Yeah, one bit me, so my arm hurts uh, now. Um. Anywho, is, we have one more series to talk about. I would, I would, I would so argue very that. quickly before we go on. He didn't come in like that. We saw him at the summer league. At the summer league, he was, you know. It doesn't matter what he looked he, like. He came in, he played NBA minutes, and he sucked dick in. Because he was injured. That's it. Like, being injured is a thing. We've established already in this podcast that the 76ers medical staff is terrible. And he's not really responsible yes, and, for that. I mean, he showed up to camp like that. Like, something happened between... There's a reason why they didn't show any, any preseason... Um, or not preseason... Uh, training camp footage of Fultz. Like, he showed up to training camp with this being a problem. Mm-hmm. And they asked him, like, you know, does your shoulder hurt? And he was like, nah. So they, they probably took their x-ray or whatever. And didn't hurt. And then, you know, he came into the preseason and people started panicking. He played a regular season game or two and people panicked more. And then the agent made up a story about an injection in his shoulder and then he was benched for like six months. Like, that's the story of Markel Fultz. But anyway, 
Um, still love the kid. I kid. He's like my age, but I hope he he gets his shit together and figures it out. Uh, it just sucks that it happened to Philly. <clears throat> anyway, Warriors Rockets last series to talk about. I think we both are very confident that the Warriors will win it. Um, one, they're the more talented team. Two, the Rockets are headed by two of the biggest playoff underachievers we've seen in the last 30 years of basketball. Um, probably going back to Carl Malone. So, I series is tied at two. Warriors are winning this 98 times out of 100. Like they're 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 just winning it. I don't know what else to say. It doesn't matter what their drama issues are. Chris Paul finds ways to lose games. And James Harden doesn't even have to look hard to find ways to lose games because he seems to just do it on his own. At least Chris Paul has the excuse of getting hurt or, um, you know, blaming it on Blake Griffin over and over again. Or J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick took a lot of blame, like correct blame too, because he just was terrible for a few years in there um, for not quite getting there. But, I mean, we've seen... You know, we did see Chris Paul at one point make a, um, you know, we've already referenced that Spurs series once, but that that was an impressively clutch series from him. So it's not entirely there, but you're right about James Harden at some level in that, yeah, he, um, like, e- even in the game that they won in Houston for game four, um, he was not good at the end of game, at the end of the game. Like he took a lot of really bad shots just in an attempt to drain the clock rather than going to the basket, trying to draw fouls. Like, he was basically over-relying on the step back, and that's not really... I mean, it'll go in occasionally, but it very much put the put the Warriors back into a game that should have been out of reach. Um, so, yeah, I think the Warriors are still winning, but I also think that it's worth noting that this series could very easily be 3-1 to one in, the, in the Rockets' favor right now. Um, they very much could have won game one. The refereeing, obviously, was mucky. Um, and... Yeah, like it's it's a I wouldn't say I would never say ninety eight percent of the time the Warriors win because we're talking about a three game series, um, and in a three game series, let's say you have a seventy percent chance of one team winning, uh, that would be like of one team winning a single game in isolation, um, that would be that would still be something like a uh, 25% chance of them losing the series overall, I think. That seems, that, that, that seems a little low, but I'm trying to do the math in my head. And Yeah. Well, like, okay, it's, um, it's 0.7 uh, cubed plus 0.7 times 0.7 times 0.3 times... Uh, three uh, times three, um, so it's 0. 0.7 times 0. 0.7 times 0. 0.9, so it's 0. 0.7 times 0. 0.7 times 16, so it's 28 squared. So 28. Squ- you, you don't you don't need to do the fancy math. I understand the right. point that you're getting at. I think all the listeners understand um, the point you're yeah, getting. Yeah. I, I, either way, like e- even in a situation where the the Warriors are so much better than the Rockets, there's still a pretty decent chance that once you get to this few games. The worst team will win, even if they, even if you can conclusively identify them as the worst team. Um, and yeah, practically speaking, you know, there's not a like it doesn't always line up like that, but it it does more often than not. Um, obviously, the Warriors are a better team than um, 
than any given metric will choose them to be because they don't necessarily have to play every game at full capacity. Um, but you could definitely see a world in which they come out with two more bad Steph Curry shooting games and just lose. Um, and, like, I, I think the Warriors are definitely favored, but I think that the Rockets have shown that they can win this series. Um, you know, there's a pretty good chance that the... Um, Let's see. So the best player in the series has been Kevin Durant. The second best player in the series has been James Harden. There's a pretty good chance that after that it turns into a mess, right? I mean, it's not there's it's not just that after that turns into a mess. like there's a very big drop off from there is the way to phrase it. Steph Curry is probably in third, but honestly, like there's a pretty good argument for Eric Gordon in third. Like that's the extent to which it drops off. Um, Draymond has been playing very mixed basketball. Um, you know, he's putting up the volume stats he usually does, but we're not actually sure he's playing playing well. Um, and overall, like, it's one of those series where you could definitely see... Like, and, and you know what the narrative is going to be ahead of time, where you know, like, if the Warriors somehow lose this, we're inevitably going to get a, oh yeah, we're, um, you know, Clay is leaving, and Durant is leaving, and... There's terrible chemistry here because everybody hates Draymond, and let's be realistic, everyone does hate Draymond, but um, what you end up with is that there's no particular, like, there, there, there's a world in which you see them simultaneously losing the series, but only because, yeah, they're getting older and they're starting to actually play worse, and it's not about chemistry, it's just that this is a team that's on on the decline, and they are no longer the team from two years ago that just beat the crap out of everyone. Because um, you can't be that team forever. Um, They're still that team. They're in their own heads right now. They won't be. They're going to blow out the Rockets. It'll be satisfying. Or maybe the Rockets will lose in devastating manner. Doesn't really matter to me. The Rockets are going to lose. Um... God, I love these hot takes. I see why, like, Skip does this. It's just so satisfying to be, like, so confident in a, in a take. The other thing, though, is, like, um, as much as I was talking about Philly only being able to play five players, Golden State, like, legitimately can only play five players. There's a pretty good argument they can only play four right now. Um, just given how Clay is shooting. Um, and so, yeah, like, it's... There are legitimate holes with this Warriors team, and obviously they're you know they're sitting on five Hall of Famers, including a well a sixth guy who would practically speaking be there if he hadn't been raised by the Kings. Um, but you know, and admittedly the sixth guy isn't playing. Um, but still, they might be sitting on seven if you you know if if the Hall of Fame decides to get really really permissive and um, you know decides to bring in Sean Livingston for whatever reason. Um, Wait, what? They're not... Livingston's not a Hall of Famer. They have five Hall Livingston's of Famers. Livingston's Hall of Fame candidacy is actually really interesting because <coughs> of how, like, high pro- He's not. It's Iggy. Iggy's the other Hall right. of Famer. And I'm saying if they have a seventh one, um, like, I, 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 if we're stretching this, because you have to to include some of these, because, like, Dr- Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, even though they are Hall of Famers, will be among the worst players in the Hall of Fame, right? No, Clay won't be. I mean, who's he better than? And I don't, I don't know if Dre will be. 
Uh, Reggie Miller. Okay, yes, Miller. Miller should different. be a Hall of Famer. Like that's just that, that's a matter of reputation rather than like the way Reggie Miller got in was very similar to the way that Draymond and Clay will get in, where it's they were involved with some very good teams, um, they had some very high profile moments, but when you look at the overall resume, it comes up pretty wanting compared to the other guys. Like if the Hall of Fame because they were odd, well not with Reggie, but because Clay was on. Um, uh, Good teams, but that's why. Anyway, we are running super long right now. Oh, we now, are. So I let's time. Oh, whoops. let's um. No, it's all right. Let's uh, let's call yeah. it here. We covered everything we had to cover. Yeah. Um, as the playoffs begin to uh tighten up, teams fall off. These will begin to get more and more um specific. Right now, we're just covering playoffs in broad strokes. I expect the next one will be very similar, but after that, belts are going to tighten mm. up. Um, we're gonna have to do oh, well, actual analysis. That series is over. <laughs> Just check the score of the Bucks game. Uh, uh, it's a blowout. Yeah, they're currently Damn. up fifteen. Oh, that's not over. It's not over per se, but like it's not this over is, with like, any team at the Atlantic Division. That's not okay. Over. But do you really they, trust the Celtics to actually come back after what we've seen from them? Yes. Yeah. All right. I need to slaughter some ants because they're multiple. Okay. I'm going to call the podcast. Um, there's not even any food in here. I, don't know. <laughs> I think they're trying to eat their dead brothers. Uh, all I know is I was trying to kill them with a tissue box, and they've now overrun the tissue <laughs> box. So I need to uh, to go acquire some weaponry. You need here. to call an exterminator. Uh, we'll see you guys. No, 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 no. That requires help. I don't want, I don't need help. These things are going to die. I'm going to be Ender <laughs> from Ender's game and just go in there. I think it's all a simulation. Um, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Playoffs will carry on. Um, by the way, I never gave him the formal congratulations. Uh, with the last second comeback, Joseph Nation won our in-season, <laughs> um, betting game. I will kick his ass next year in revenge. But, and also we might have a live podcast coming in mid-June. Um, mm-hmm. either that or I'll film me destroying Jane A in one-on-one. <laughs> um, we'll figure something out. I'll be intoxicated either way. <laughs> Um, he may or may not be intoxicated. We'll see if I can, uh, convince him, but we'll see you guys next week. Hope you enjoyed. Click whatever subscribe button you see on your screen or tap it or, or I don't know, look at it. If you have one of those eye sensor things on your computer and, uh, we'll see you next time. Have a good week.